Hello everyone, welcome to 20th episode of SecTools podcast by Infosec Campus. I'm your host of the show, Sanup Thomas. Today we have Isaac Evans with us to talk about an awesome tool, especially on the defense side or people who are actually working on the secure coding or code analysis side. Uh, this will be an interesting tool and I got very interested to talk to Isaac. Isaac, welcome to the show. It's great to be here. Isaac, uh, to start with your background, um, What's your technical background? How did you get into maybe an application security or code reviews or rather just in technology? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess for me, the story kind of starts uh, during undergrad. So that's where I met the folks who would eventually become co-founders at my company. And our junior year, we did a project to port LXC, the Linux containers project, to Android. So we were actually uh, a subcontractor for a larger company who was very interested in having this technology. Um, and that was, that was sort of our first time doing security work uh, and doing a business together. And even though it was just you know, a contracted thing, we really enjoyed it. We really liked working together and we wanted to do it again in the future. So after that, I had a scholarship program that took me to some government labs. Uh, if you're familiar with the Ghidra tool, mm -hmm. I used to work with some of the folks who helped develop that. Uh, which was a lot of fun. And that, that taught me a lot about, you know, sort of program analysis from a defensive perspective, you know, how you pull things apart, decompile things. Uh, there's a lot of good kind of fundamental principles that you learn about while doing that. And then I went, um, did my master's at MIT, and my focus area there was on control flow integrity. So preventing binary exploitation with control flow enforcement techniques at runtime. Um, and that's, that's kind of, you know, I, I don't know, security and program analysis were just all over everything I did over the past couple of years. So that's kind of how it happened. Yeah, but I think you touched both on the defensive side and the offensive side as well, right? Yeah. Interesting. Um, were you started as a developer and then, then slipped into securities or it just happens um, just organically? I think in my case, it happened pretty organically. Uh, I was also very interested in robotics when I was finishing up college, but as it turned out, um, it's kind of a, an interesting story. There was a professor who I was really hoping to work with during my master's uh, in robotics who unfortunately passed away, but he had introduced me to a friend of his who was very specialized in the security area. And we had actually talked about a lot about how security for robotics was such an interesting area. Uh, you know, if you're thinking about putting more and more robots in human environments, you, you really hope that we have some good security protocols and properties that we can prove about them before, you know, a situation like iRobot becomes a reality. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, so um, for me, it was definitely a developer first and then sort of moving into that security expertise area. Now let's talk about uh, SEMGREB. I'm I'm quite excited to see the tool, um, uh, and of course, I just uh, read about the the the. Should I told it call it as like a tool or a framework or you know <laughs> I don't know, <laughs> but um, I think tool I think tool is fine. <laughs> yeah, but it's a, it's it's pretty interesting project, and I was very excited about uh, speaking to you on that. Um, I did a couple of uh, fiddling around with these tools, and 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 it seems pretty fun. It's also um, I'm I'm generally more interested in um, defensive side. Maybe I've done enough of offense, or I'm still doing offense, by the way. 
but mm. uh, defensive side things when i see the the comparison of tools that exist these days like you know uh, now we have so many options in in the offense side so you have maybe if you take an exploitation side they have like plenty of tools there web applications or reverse engineering and whatnot so we have so many arsenal to actually th- may, you know uh, break things apart but it's hard or rather it's less tools or frameworks or libraries to basically do more uh, defense side uh, semgrab is actually uh, a very great initiative and i really like that project um, how did that get started yeah um well uh, you know i i also um am someone who discovered semgrab relatively recently because uh as it turns out semgrab is actually an open source project that started almost 10 years ago mm-hmm. at facebook so uh one of the folks who joined our team last year at r2c was the first program analysis hire at facebook uh and while he was there he wrote a whole bunch of tools um you know for internal facebook usage and so this is one of the ones that got open sourced the idea behind semgrep which i guess we should introduce because the listeners might not be familiar with it yeah. is that you know we should be able to write queries for source code that the queries look as close as possible to source code themselves you know so if you're if you're looking for a function named print in python you should just be able to call type print left parenthesis right parenthesis and that should find you know we could use the same parser that we use on the source code on this query lifted into you know an abstract representation specifically an abstract syntax tree and so your pattern and your code actually look very very similar so actually in a lot of cases when you're writing a semgrep pattern you just copy and paste source code into the search box and you kind of put some dot dot dots in a few places to be like yeah i don't care about the exact name of this or the exact number of parameters for that and it matches the code. So this is this is a brilliant idea. I wish I could take credit for it. Uh but Yoan Padilu who's uh our uh, you know like program analysis genius is the one who really came up with it. And at Facebook it was used to enforce, you know, not just security things but best practices, performance checks, you know, many hundreds of patterns were written and run on the Facebook code base to kind of help people understand Oh hey like this is not the way we do it this is not secure this is not performant in an automated fashion um the way that i was introduced to this tool um was when ajin released uh, node.js scan and then he mentioned that hey i'm just uh, porting everything back uh, from regex to semgrep and i was like hey what's that this went online searched for it and it seems a like super interesting stuff because regex patterns are um well there are scanners actually using it for sure but it's not very really right. effective because the way we should read code uh, should not be uh, like how we use regex for right regex is mainly mainly for just simple pattern matching in like strings it's hard to get an high level of accuracy when we are just using regex and that's where semgrep plays a very big role right that's i mean we we talk about this a lot when we we give presentations because you know regex is right there's a lot of advantages to them right they're very fast yeah. uh they're crazy fast and you know they they support an infinite number of languages in theory right you don't need regex to build language support for your language you can just use a, a grep expression right on it but like you said the disadvantages are that 
regexes are fundamentally about strings and code is actually, you know, if you look at how a compiler interprets code, it always shoots it as a tree. Yeah. Um, and this, you know, like, so for anybody who's kind of struggling to make that concrete, like what are the differences, you know, in regexes, just out of the box, you don't have support for like white space and multi-line alignment of the code, right? Uh, so if somebody's using a formatter and it's rolling things onto different lines, or there are things that are just really simple um, that can affect the precision of your query. So if you're like looking for a function named foo, what if somebody aliases foo and they're actually calling it, you know, bar? Well, uh, you know, unless you are grepping for both the alias command and the, you know, like new usage, or there might be a bunch of different ways, you know, you could alias it during the import, you could alias it later. Um, and so one of the, one of the ideas with SimGrep that I think is really powerful is that the engine is extensible and has support for what are called equivalences in the parlance. But the whole idea here is, you know, if you're writing Python and somebody says, you know, import foo from bar, uh, or if they say import, import foo from bar as, you know, Z, mm -hmm. if you're looking for that indication of foo, you know, it should be able to find all the possible instances automatically for you. You shouldn't have to do any extra thinking. Anything that is equivalent, uh, you know, to the program, like semantically equivalent, which is where the name SimGrep comes from, should just automatically be picked up by one query. So one query can match many variations that are equivalent across the code base. Interesting. I mean, maybe I'm asking a very stupid questions, but I'm just curious to understand how it works in the back end or rather like mm. the whole logic of it, like how does it map it back to the original, uh, actually the function or the class itself, for example, is it using AST, actually AST as a, as a uh, you know, as an underlying technologies or how does it work? Yep. Right, so there's, there's actually two layers. Um, so it does use a generic AST, right? Uh, but so I guess I'll rewind a little bit. Uh, an AST, just in case, uh, you know, not everybody's familiar with that, is an abstract syntax tree. And so this is, you know, generally the first thing that happens when you pass code to a compiler is it lifts it into a tree representation uh, so that it can do further program analysis work. And in SimGrep, the first stage that happens is that it's lifted into a language-specific AST. So if you're writing Python, that's lifted into a Python AST. If you are writing Java, it's listed in, lifted into a Java AST. And then for those language specific ones, this is where the language specific equivalences come into play. So there's a, a sort of rewriting process to normalize the AST so that it's like, oh, like, okay, yeah, you know, technically you could call this function um, like with this dictionary and that dictionary could have these keys in any order. But even if in your query, the order of the keys is this way and in the code it's swapped, that shouldn't matter. So we'll normalize things on this Python specific AST so that we automatically are for free matching all these things that you know, we sort of expect should match. And then we lift it into a truly generic AST, uh, which is kind of the final stage. We do the same process with the code in addition to the pattern. And then the last step that happens is basically a tree matching across uh, you know, like these, these ASTs that have been lifted out of the program representation. One of the consequences of that is that, uh, you know, technically you could use a Java pattern to search a Python code base. So you could, you know, it would be a little funky. 
but you could say, hey, here's how we call a function in Java. As long as you have a Python function that has the same name, uh, you know, it would still work. So I haven't seen anybody do that, but since you were asking about the architecture, mm -hmm. that's one of the unique things that's happening underneath the hood. That's interesting. So that means a, yeah. a rule that maybe I have written um, for one language, can I easily port that for another language as well? Like the, the conceptually that's possible? Conceptually it's possible. In reality, most of the queries that people have been writing are pretty language specific. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's like, well, hey, we're looking for this security issue with Python or for this Python framework. So it's just, it, you know, it wouldn't apply to Java. There are, of course, other tools that have like a fully generic language where they're just trying to abstract it out into like, hey, like any, any function call, um, you know, and things like that. Simgrep, like, you know, you, you can do that. But most of the things that we found, people are trying to write patterns for a very specific thing inside some target language. So making a like very broad generic query doesn't necessarily make sense. Yeah, I agree to that. Maybe for the audience of this podcast to um, get them started with SEMgreb, uh, what do you recommend? Yeah, um, so I would go check out semgrep.live, uh, which is where the live editor uh, lives. And there's kind of two things, you know, if you're like, oh, this is really interesting. It's like a pattern code searched cool. I could use that to find, find vulnerabilities in my code bases. Or maybe if you're on the offensive side, you're thinking about finding vulnerabilities in somebody else's code base. Either way, um, there is a live editor that is really easy to use that will basically let you type the pattern and it'll put, you can put the code as well. And then you can just interactively run through that and you know, like see what the results are, which is awesome. That's really cool because um, you, know, you can actually take the patterns that you write in the live editor and then just run them offline or put them in continuous integration. It's part of your developer flow mm -hmm. if you're excited about the results. We also have a registry. So you know, like we've got a bunch of examples basically of, hey, like, here are patterns that we've written for Java, for Python, for OCaml. Uh, you know, for all the all the supported languages in the project, which is pretty neat. And we're always looking for uh, people to contribute to that, which is actually how we met Ajahn. You, know, you mentioned him earlier. Yeah. Uh, we were basically, yeah, I, I talked with him in Montreal a while back, and I told him about what we were doing. And he was like, oh, I've got some time. I'm going to be working on the new version of Node.js scan. It seems like SimGrep is just a strict improvement over grep for what I'm trying to do, yeah. finding vulnerabilities in code. Um, I should just use that. So he used the live editor a lot in that process. You know, it's really nice to just have something where it's like you type the code, you type the pattern, and as you're typing, you know, you can just continuously see like, does this match? Does that match? Yeah. And there's some some nice features for like debugging step by step. But if if you're like, oh, this sounds cool, but I just want to use the tools that other people have written, uh, well, you know, you can use Node.js scan. Uh, we have a registry of just like a whole bunch of other checks, not just for JavaScript, but other things that you can pull from as well. And, you know, in like 30 seconds, you can be running those on your code base. Interesting. So that registry actually contains rules contributed by community, like different languages? It does, yeah. So if you if you go to simgrep.live and click on the registry, you'll actually see, like, you can filter down by language and by category, and there's a tag for Node.js scan, because oh, uh, okay. all those rules are in there. So it's, you know, it's, it's nicer to use Node.js scan through the interface that Azure provides. Yeah. Uh, but if you're kind of interested in drilling into the guts of the libsast project that he has that's actually interfacing with Simgrep, mm -hmm. 
uh, you can find it all there and sort of explore it. You can even click on the patterns that he has and immediately see them in the live editor and tweak them. So for instance, if you're like, oh, well, this pattern should be expanded to include this case as well. It's just really easy to do that and then publish it back as a pull request to the, uh, the registry. So the registry actually is just a GitHub repository with a bunch of uh, flat files in it. So it's pretty easy to contribute to. I see. Yeah. I think the one major um, challenge for running code, code analysis for a you know, fairly large organization is to have the speed of analysis itself, right? I mean, we probably have maybe like few gigs of uh, um, source code and then we probably need to run it through um, a scanner or a source code scanner, whether, right. whether it is a commercial one or an open source one. Um, have you seen any any uh, feedback from uh, such projects where you know you see a speed issues or is it providing like enough uh, responses? Um, well, we're not as we're not quite as fast as Grep. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're but but but, um, but most of the I mean the 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 scanners will be also using ASTs, right? Because ultimately mm -hmm. they are not probably just using regex, but they probably they should be using uh, ASTs also. Right. I'm assuming. Yes. SEMGREB, the advantage I've, see, I, I've seen that um, mm. what SEMGREB is providing is, is more of a customization that we can actually contribute, we can have our own rules there, uh, which not necessarily all scanners actually provide, and that's more useful um, for, let's say, a product security company, or let's say just a, a person that, for example, if I'm, if I'm, um, if I have my own source code and then I basically maintain that and I know that a particular pattern just reappears and I can optimize it. Yep. And so, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I guess like to come into the speed question, we see performance of about a hundred thousand to 500,000 lines of code per second okay. per rule. Okay. Um, so pretty fast. Yeah. Um, and, and you're right that, you know, like the use case here is really, Hey, I want to set this up so that when I commit code, or when I push code, it just like scans it automatically. So we're working on adding a diffaware mode to SimGrep. Like you can do this right now with some like command line foo, but we just want to make it work out of the box so that when you're saying uh, you like you're trying to get this set up in continuous integration, automatically it just figures out, hey, what are the files that are changed? Let's scan those files. Let's give you the results from them. Um, and then, yeah, like you said, you know, so I'm, I'm working on a project right now. It's like a, a web application that gets deployed to a server. Uh, and it actually has some security sensitivity. So it's like, well, okay, yep, we want all the security rules. We can go to the registry, filter those down, grab them. There are some other things that they're not security related, but it's just like, I want to make sure I don't leave any calls to the debugger inside my code. Um, you know, easy easy to basically write a SimGrep rule that's like, yep, anytime I'm importing the debugger module, I just want to flag that. And I know it's not a security thing, but this just helps me avoid crashing the application in production. Um, and so this, this ability to kind of write a custom rule and then also create like a collection of rules that are based off of this is what you want for your application is I think pretty unique compared to a lot of other tools. You know, like many other tools, they they have to kind of cater to the lowest common denominator, right? They have to ship with a set of checks and rules that they think is going to be, you know, the best combination of true positives across potentially every person in the world. And while that's fine, you know, 
what's a true positive for one person might be a false positive to another. So it's actually kind of restrictive uh, in what you can do. And I think part of the intuition behind SimGrep is, hey, if we actually open up the box a little bit and give you as the security expert the ability to tune and tweak and write your own rules really in just a few minutes, yeah. um, you know, that is an incredibly powerful capability to have. Yeah, I mean, I mean, if some, if I will think about myself writing a source code scanner and then learning AST will be a very steep learning curve, but but it compared to SEMGREP, it could be very very easy for me to pick up that, um, then maybe you know start writing rules, and then you know run run some scans against a bunch of source codes. That 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 kind of like simplify the ASTs in in one way. I could say that. Hmm. Sorry, I um being distracted by my cat. <laughs> it's just <laughs> jumped into my face. Could you could you could you repeat what you said there? No, no, what what I'm saying is um when if I think about myself writing a source code scanner and then learning the AST will be a very steep curve of learning itself. Right. But right. picking that up with uh, you know, SamGrep will be like more of an easier solution so far I can think of that's exist. Um and and the learning curve will be very less there. Like learning the technology, how it works, is will be far less than I can compile. I can basically focus more time in like you know fine tuning the rule itself, or rather like you know optimizing the engine itself. Right, right. I mean that's that's certainly the idea, right? And we we have had a lot of experience with uh, you know sort of the the existing state of tools, right? We've actually written you know many AST based. Um, checkers before yeah. and you know it, if if you've never done it you're like what does that mean you know like if you are writing something that is going to process the ast it's not impossible uh it's not the hardest thing in the world but you have to learn this whole new world of like oh what is the compiler called you know like the token that lives in this sort of context yeah. and so there's a lot of domain specific knowledge that goes into it and the the contrast is that with SimGrep, you can learn all the SimGrep syntax in five minutes. You know, yeah. actually, I can tell you right now. There's like, it's it's the sort of same source code you've been writing, and there are just two things that are different. There's a dot 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 operator, the ellipsis, yeah. that lets you basically abstract out sequences, and then there's a dollar sign capital letter uh, variable thing that's like, yeah, I want to refer to this variable, but I don't care about what the specific name of the variable is. Kind of like a capturing group in regular expressions. So if you know those two things, and there's actually a tutorial at simgrep.live slash learn that will walk you through them, uh, you can be dangerous in you know, five minutes with writing your own uh, custom matchers, so. Yeah, I think the, the one part that I liked very much is that I'm writing rules in the same language I'm writing the lang uh, program itself, right? I mean, if I'm writing a Python rules, uh, um, or scanning like Python code, it, the, the rule itself is very similar to or very close to the Python code itself. And that's kind of simplifying mm -hmm. the whole concept of, you know, pattern matchings and um, code analysis itself. Like if I'm trying to write a rule in a custom uh, scanners, and probably I need to learn about that, right. Uh, right. that framework itself. I mean, this is like very simplifying. Yes. And actually, you know, one of the, the, Really a fundamental idea here is you got to keep things simple. You know, so we've been throwing around ASTs. In reality, there are plenty of people who work in AppSec who they don't have a program analysis background and they don't know what an AST is. 
and you know obviously it's great to to tell them about that but it's it's also great to just provide tools where it's like hey this is a cool tool and you don't even have to understand necessarily all of the magic that's happening underneath the hood uh but you sure can benefit from it and so one of the things uh which is an experimental feature right now and is actually an intern project at the company uh, with we've got an amazing intern she's doing an awesome job adding this feature is what if you could highlight the code snippet and then get the search pattern for it suggested and in fact actually like get a couple different search patterns of varying levels of how specific you want to be maybe you want to be super specific exactly this maybe you want well you know i don't care how many arguments or i don't care which arguments or things like that um, and so that actually is uh, also part of the live editor experience right now. If you go highlight some code, you can right click on it and say generate a suggested pattern and it will give you a bunch of suggestions, uh, which is sort of the next level, right? Yeah. Uh, this is something we've been talking about for a long time. So being able to actually do that is I think really cool because you have just lowered the barrier so much to getting started with something that will help you find bug patterns inside the code base. Yeah, I mean, that seems very interesting because um, so I can I can think of like my usage itself, right? Um, yeah. Well, I'm I'm working in like an app seg, right? So I probably work with like multiple projects and and written in multiple languages, and some of them will be like classics uh, Java or or C sharp applications or or .NET applications, or some of them will be like more modern GoLang Rust or you know Ruby on Rails and whatnot. So I may not be able yep. to create uh, or uh, understand the language uh, of, uh, let's say, Ruby. How should I write mm. a pattern for it? And having the suggestion is, that's kind of like simplifying to the next level. Right. <laughs> well, um, we've actually, you know, we wanted to do this for a while, but the reason that we really got to it was we added support for specifying the types yeah. inside a SimGrep pattern. So for instance, you know, let's say you're looking for a call to foo but you really only want to trigger if somebody's calling foo with an integer argument yeah. as opposed to a string argument. Um, so you can just use whatever syntax the language has for specifying types. And actually, even in Ruby uh, and Python and JavaScript languages that traditionally did not have types, most of them have added a new extension that allows you to say, hey, here's how we specify types in this language. So you can use that in SimGrep to basically, you know, the same way that you would specify a type constraint in the program, you can be like, oh, yep, this should be of this type here. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, like when you when you think about types beyond just string and int, sometimes they can be complex and have weird names and things. So in that case, being able to highlight the code and be like, oh, yes, <laughs> for this example, you know, give me a pattern that's specifying exactly whatever that type is. I don't know what it is for me. I, for me automatically, you know, it's next level laziness, uh, which is great. Exactly. <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> And then yep. as security people, we like to be lazy like that. I think that's fun. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah, okay. for sure. Talking about uh, the new features and what more could you throw as a sneak peek? For sure. So, um, you know, Ruby is going to come out in July. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be in beta at first. Uh, TypeScript will come after that which we're pretty excited about. And I guess just as a general thing, you know, some tools, they never really support more than a handful of languages. Yeah. We already support, um, gee, let me count them, six, seven. Uh, and, and actually one of them is JSON, which we just added a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, so you can actually query JSON using SimGrep, which is just really wild. And, you know, imagine you have like a, 
AWS config or something that's in JSON, mm-hmm. it's really easy to just write something that's like, oh yeah, like I want to find where this key has this sort of value, et cetera, stuff like that. So Python, JavaScript, Go, Java, OCaml, JSON, and C support right now. Ruby and TypeScript coming. But the goal is really to actually have eventually 30 or more languages supported in the tool. You know, so even things like Swift, Kotlin, uh, esoteric things like Lua, mm. uh, we would like to be able to support. So you know, the goal is for this to really be a kind of, hey, if you've got code and you want to write a lightweight static analysis pattern on top of it, this is just the Swiss Army knife that you'd like to reach for. Yeah. Oh, and by the way, you know, like it's it's installable everywhere. It's actually pretty tiny. It's only about fifty megabyte yeah. binary right now. Um, so you know, just make it portable, easy to use, pretty fast. Um, is uh, is is the name of the game. So we have to you know like make sure that we avoid bloat. But it's actually not that hard for us to. Uh, we we've been investing a lot in making it easier to add support for a new language. So we're using a project, uh, an open source project that has parsers for a whole bunch of languages. And we're replacing the parsers that were written during the time the tool was at Facebook uh, with this kind of community parser project. So that's awesome. You know, I guess one of the things that we haven't mentioned, I don't think explicitly is that SimGrep is actually open source. So if you go to uh, simgrep.dev or the simgrep.live website, you can just click on the GitHub link. You can browse through all the source. The core program analysis parts are in OCaml. Uh, so if you're you know, specialized in that, we would love your contributions. But actually, a lot of the stuff on top of the core program analysis core is in Python, which we find that a lot more people are comfortable contributing in. Yeah. So if you have an idea to you know, improve the output of the tool, for instance, that's all managed in Python. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we would love to have contributors. Awesome. Yeah, it's a great work, uh, and uh, again, once again, like thanks for that amazing work. Um, especially keeping it as an open source, it's uh, giving more accessibility to people. Before we wind up to the infosec community, or rather, people who are actually wanted to get into uh, application security, or people who are already in application security wanted to get into like maybe defensive side writing tools, mm-hmm. what do you suggest to them? Or what What's your word of wisdom? Well, there's you know really a tremendous amount of resources that are available online. I think one of the things you know we all know that. I think one of the things that I've just started to realize, even in the past couple of years, is that there's also just great communities that are available both locally uh, and online. And actually, uh, you know, it's it's great to just kind of like sit there at your computer and like read through things. And obviously, in this time of a a global pandemic, it's <laughs> We, we can't congregate as much, but, uh, you know, I've actually found it to be just really rewarding to meet other people from the security community. You know, so for instance, uh, Ajahn, I did not know him at all. I was in town uh, in Montreal for a conference and I just reached out and I was like, hey, I really like your work. Do you want to get uh, coffee? And we, we got together and it was great. So, you know, I just encourage people to look for, you know, where are places that other like-minded folks gather? And how can I go become a part of that? Um, you know, I think security people, we tend to be a little bit more of loners and like, oh yeah, you know, I'm off here hacking in the basement. <laughs> um, but it's really valuable to, uh, to meet with other people and to share tools and techniques and advice. Uh, you know, it'll accelerate your learning a lot. So that's my, that's my nugget of wisdom, I guess. <laughs> awesome. Uh, 
Thanks, thanks, Isaac. I think that was an awesome uh, experience that you shared there. Especially, it's about yeah, uh, absolutely. It's it's definitely about like networking people and kind of sharing that knowledge. That really helps. For sure, but I mean, you know, it's the exact point of podcasts like your own. So, so it's, it's a privilege to join you. Oh, thanks. I mean, mine is pretty new, but uh, it's 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 my honor to have you on the show. Thanks everyone for joining the podcast. We'll talk to you in the next episode.